Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Great to have you with us here in the room, as well as if you're watching online. Uh, maybe you're still uh, doing some summer traveling, everything. It's great to have you with us as well. This is an exciting day. As David was just talking about, we get to celebrate baptism today at, at a park outdoors after the service. And also today is the day we are wrapping up this eight-week series we've been working our way through called Summer in the Psalms. And I want to wrap it up today by talking about one of my all-time favorite psalms, Psalm 51. That's where we're going today. And uh, I'll talk about why it's one of my favorite psalms as, as we get into it here. Um, but uh, several years ago, Frontline, this church, actually was not in this building. Several years ago, we were in a much smaller facility on Three Mile and Alpine Road here in Grand Rapids. And at that, uh, at that church building, we had 66 parking spaces. The reason I can remember that it was exactly 66 parking spaces is because we outgrew that building, and there was a season where... Uh, we were filling up all 66 parking spaces three times on Sunday morning. Uh, the church was just growing. We desperately needed more parking. And so actually, uh, there was a couple other businesses right there near our, our uh, neighborhood that actually agreed to let us use their parking as overflow. So people were parking and then walking to the church. Parking was like in high demand during this time. And I remember there was a Sunday morning, it was in the summer, we got there early on a Sunday morning to, you know, begin setting up, getting ready for church, and to our surprise, there was this broken down mess of a car that was just parked and kind of abandoned in one of the prime parking spaces right up close to the building in our parking lot. Just this broken down pile of junk, it looked kind of like this. This, was, this isn't the actual car, and I apologize if any of you ever owned a car that looked like this. I actually owned a car that looked like this at one time. Um, uh, but this is what it looked like. It was just this broken down mess that had just been left right in a prime parking space. So a week goes by, and nobody calls. Nobody comes to get the car. Nobody shows up. There's just nothing. The car is just sitting there for a straight week. And so after a week... Uh, there was a guy in our church who had the means to kind of figure out, like, from the license plate, who it belonged to, and so uh, figured that out for us, and so we called, we left voice messages for this person, we called again, we left more voice messages, the person never responded, they never called us back, never answered the phone, so a couple more weeks go by, and this car is just sitting in our parking lot, this broken down mess is just there every week, and so after a few weeks, with no response from this person, what we, did, what we finally did is... Frontline paid at our own expense. We paid to have a tow truck come and tow the car away. And I assume they notified the person who owned it, you know, when the car was, was uh, taken away and impounded. And so problem solved, right? We're all, we're all good. Everything's fine. <laughs> a few days later, after this car had been towed away, it was the middle of the week during the day, I was standing in the office lobby of the church and I was talking to my friend, Matt. Matt was a part of the church and we're just standing there having a conversation. The door opens 
And this woman walks in, she marches straight up to me, and she interrupts us as we're talking, and she says, hey, do you work here? And I said, yeah, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Can I help you? And she proceeded to unleash on me in that moment a stream of consciousness of profanities and obscenities that I, have, I have, don't think I've ever experienced in my life before or since. And very quickly, I kind of summed up, oh, this lady, she, this is the owner of this car that we had towed away. From what she was saying, I, I, could, I could pretty well sense that that's what, who this is. And she's saying things like, I can't believe, it. you're a church after all. How could you treat people this way? How could you do this to, to people? And, and then the name calling. Uh, just to give you a sense, she inferred several times that I was a dumb person that had had relations with my own mother, if that gives you a sense. <laughs> she, she basically said that my parents had never been married multiple times. And the best part, I mean, she is just going for it. I can't even get a word edgewise. And all of a sudden, about halfway through this, I realized, where did Matt go? <laughs> Matt, like Matt, Matt had been standing behind me. I realized he is now behind me about three feet. He literally, as she just unleashed it, he just kind of like moved behind me and just sort of cowered down like this, <laughs> just waiting for the beating to be over. When she was finally out of breath and done, she gave me a hand gesture and then she turned around and just marched straight out the door. That was it. That was the end of the, the conversation. I never saw her again. She, her car was broken. That was a situation she had going on. Her car was broken, but she was wounded. The car was broken, but she was wounded. She had a wounded spirit about the whole situation and what had happened. Every single one of us, whether you're watching online or whether you're actually sitting here in the room right now, every one of us has brokenness in our life somewhere. There's a broken down mess parked somewhere in your life. It's true for every single one of us. But when we're confronted with our brokenness, when it's brought to our attention, when we see it, all of us have a choice of how we're going to respond to what's broken in our lives. If you think about it, that's, that's such a picture of the gospel message, of the invitation of Jesus. When, when we come to God, essentially what we do when we come to God is we, we park our broken down mess in God's parking lot. And then what happens is God takes it away at his own expense. Not at our expense. We don't pay for it. God takes it away at his own expense, the blood of his son, Jesus. And so salvation then is when we acknowledge that our broken mess, when we accept the sacrifice that's been made on our behalf, and when we turn and we live with Jesus as Lord and owner of our lives. Otherwise, we got to pay the bill for our own broken down mess. And I'm here to tell you it's too expensive for you or I to handle. So, all of us at different points in our lives, we have these, these moments. Maybe it's a conversation, maybe it's a season, maybe there's a relationship in your life. We have these moments, these encounters where God will allow someone to point out and someone will point out our broken down mess. They'll confront us with it. And we have a choice of how we're going to respond. Uh, maybe it'll happen at your job. Maybe it's a boss or a coworker that just says, hey, this issue in your life, it's affecting your job performance. It's affecting your, your work. Maybe it happens at home. Maybe it'll be, it's a parent that notices and begins to talk to you. Maybe it's a spouse that sees a broken piece of your life or, or the worst. Maybe it's your own child. 
the worst parents is when your children get to the age where they can point out your flaws and they have no problem saying, hey, dad, look at this. And they want to tell you about the flaws and the mistakes in your own life. Uh, Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it comes in the form of just a really good friend who loves you enough to tell you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear. We all have these moments where we we have to choose, how am I going to respond to being confronted with my own brokenness? Am I going to be broken about my brokenness or am I going to choose to be wounded? Am I going to choose to be a victim? Am I going to choose to double down on the lies? Am I going to choose to double down on my defense and figure out how to fight back? Or am I going to become broken about what's actually broken in my life? Here's the reason I tell you that. As we look at Psalm 51 today, Psalm 51 actually comes out of a particular moment in David's life. It's written by King David. And so if you're reading Psalm 51, before you even get to verse 1 of Psalm 51, underneath where it says Psalm 51 in your Bible, there's a heading. And the heading says this, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So, so this is a moment in David's life where the prophet Nathan comes to King David. He's the king over all of Israel. And in a very public way, he confronts David on an area, on his broken down mess. And he says, look at this. Look at this. It's parked right here. And, you know, it says he committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's the truth of it. But if you look at, if you actually know the story in the Old Testament, if you go and read it, and I invite you to do that, what you realize is it was a lot more than just adultery. There was lying. There was coercion. There was a cover-up, even to the point where David had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, murdered to try to cover up what, what he'd done. And in this moment, Nathan the prophet comes and he confronts David. And so what we're about to read, Psalm 51, is David's response. How is he going to respond? He's the king of Israel. How dare you come and, and confront me on some area of my life? And we're, we're about to watch how David responds This is Psalm 51. This is how he responds. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, listen to this, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not 
despise. So in this moment, David chooses to turn and he looks at this confrontation that's happened in his life and he chooses a response of brokenness. He's going to be broken about what's broken in his life. He's not going to choose to be wounded about it. He's not going to play the victim. He's not going to figure out his defense strategy. He's going to be broken. And I would tell you, it's one of the hardest things to do But when we respond in brokenness to our broken down messes in our lives, that when we respond with brokenness to our sin and our shame, it's the beginning of God healing us of our wounds. When we come to God with brokenness, that's how our wounds begin to get healed. So here's what I want to do. We're going to look at three key differences between what it means to be wounded and what it means to be broken from this passage, from Psalm 51. And maybe right now you're in the midst of a moment. You've got to figure out how do I respond? How do I respond to to some sin in my life? Three key differences between being wounded and broken. First one is this. Brokenness focuses on me. Woundedness focuses on my circumstances. You see this. Brokenness always focuses on me. Woundedness focuses on my circumstances. Look, this is verse five. We just read it. It says, surely I was sinful at birth. David says, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. See, people who are wounded, they have this way of talking about how the, how the circumstances have been unfair to them, how the circumstances have put them in a bad situation, and really, yeah, I'm doing this, and yeah, this thing has happened in my life, but, it, but you don't understand what's happened to me. But brokenness has this way of, of focusing on ourselves. People who are broken have this way of talking about their part. Yes, maybe the circumstances were unfair, but they have this way of talking about their part in it. And owning what they've done. In fact, people who are are broken, they have this way of even talking about the circumstances in terms of this is what these circumstances are revealing about me. When you're in a place of brokenness, you have this, uh, this way of coming before God and others and just saying, this is the truth about me. This is the truth about my life. And being real and being honest about that. Now... I, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you right now, you're, you're ready to like walk up to me and unleash a tirade on me like that lady in the church lobby that day. Because what you're saying in your mind right now is you're, you're saying, wait a minute, you don't understand what's happened to me. You, Brian, you have no clue what, what I've been through. You have no a clue how unfair the circumstances have been to me. And here's the situation. Here, that's true. You're right. I don't know your situation. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know how unfair things have been to you. Here's what I do know. Brokenness about your part is the first step toward any kind of healing and any kind of blessing that you're going to experience in your life. Brokenness about your part, brokenness about about what you've brought to the situation is the first step toward any sort of healing because woundedness always focuses on the circumstances. Brokenness focuses on me. Second one, if you There we go. Uh, uh, Second one, brokenness is directed toward God. Woundedness is directed toward others. Brokenness is always directed vertically toward God. Woundedness is always directed horizontally toward other people. Again, look at this. This is verse four. David's speaking to God and he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge me. See, people who are wounded, they, they want to hold on to it. They want to hold on to the offense and they want to hold someone responsible for it. 
That's what we do when we're wounded. We want to hold on to it. We, we want to hold on to the offense. We want to, and we want to make someone else pay. We want to make someone else responsible for it. But people who are broken, they, they have this way of directing their pain, directing their hurt toward God in, in humility, in a posture of repentance, in a posture of confession, and say, Lord, what do you want to teach me through this? What is there for me to learn in this, in the midst of this mass? Now, again, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're ready to take my head off because you're thinking, yeah, but what about them? Are you kidding me? Do you, do you have any clue what they did to me? What about the way they spoke to me? What about the way they hurt me? Well, you know, what, what about the way that they lashed out at me? Uh, you know, doesn't God care about that too? And, and to, to answer that, I would say absolutely yes. I don't doubt that they've had a part in it too. I don't doubt that another person has maybe uh, hurt you. We're all sinners and we all hurt each other in different ways. But brokenness has this ability to say, I'm going to direct my pain toward God. So my question to you is, where are you directing your pain? Are you directing it horizontally? Coming up with your revenge plan? Gossiping? Slandering? Talking about them all the time? Or are you directing your pain to God as the only one who can heal you, as the only one who can take this? Woundedness goes horizontal, focuses on others. Brokenness focuses on God. And then the last one, brokenness actually attracts God. It's what you see in this passage. It's what you see all throughout Scripture. Brokenness, when people are broken and they come before God, God actually leans in. He draws close. Brokenness has this ability to attract God. Woundedness repels God and repels others. Again, look at verse 16 and 17. We'll, we'll read this again. David says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David recognizes that what God is actually after, what he actually wants is, is our hearts. That's what he wants. He, so David is like, you know, I, I would bring a sacrifice if I thought that would do the trick. I'd offer another uh, ram on the altar. I'd offer another sacrifice. He said, you don't want another animal. You want me. You want my heart. That's, that's what you're after. That's what you want. Nobody wants to be around a person who's wounded. Have you noticed this? They're no fun to be around. People who are wounded, they actually repel God and repel others because there's this, it's like they're just so bitter and they're just so cynical and they're, everything, every conversation gets kind of turned back around toward their pain and, and they have this victim mentality where all they can focus on, all they can talk about is their pain and the way they've been hurt. And if, if you've been around someone like that, you know it's very hard to be around people who are in that space and in that, that place. But, but brokenness, it actually attracts God. God actually leans in. Other people actually lean in. When we have a posture of brokenness about our own sin, about our own place, and we say, this is the truth about me, God can truly begin to work in our lives. Marriages get restored when there's a posture of brokenness. Friendships get healed. Forgiveness takes place. Second chances prevail when there's a posture and there's a heart of brokenness. You say, well, how do you know, Brian? I'll tell you exactly how I know. I know because I should not be here. But seriously, 
standing here right now talking as your pastor. I shouldn't be here. My sin actually disqualified me from this a long time ago. Um, Carrie should have left me years ago. My wife, when it came to light, though, I was engaged in an emotional affair. There were some good friends in our lives and, and some people in leadership here at the church that all became aware of it. And, I, and to be honest with you, I had a hard time admitting that's really what was happening and, that's how, and how far it had really gone. Carrie should have left me. My ministry credentials should have been taken away from me when leadership found out. I should have lost my job. My relationship with my boys should have been impacted by my failure. I should have, should have, should have, should have, should have. I should not be here. Do you understand that? That's why I love this psalm so much. Psalm 51 became dear to me during that season of my life. I, I remember reading it again and again and again. It just became like a daily thing during that season of brokenness in my life. I would read Psalm 51 and I, I would make the words of Psalm 51 my words to God. And I actually look back on that time in my life. It's painful to remember. It's painful to think back on, but it was one of the greatest times of my life because out of that brokenness with God, it became a turning point in my life. And I, you can ask Carrie. She'll tell you the same thing. Our marriage today is stronger and better right now than it ever, ever was any of those years before the broken down mess happened. Not just that, my, my ministry is more fruitful today. It's more marked by grace and forgiveness, mar marked by the joy of the Lord in, in ways that my ministry previous to the broken down mess was never experiencing. God, God truly, truly can make all things new. When we come to him in brokenness and we accept the sacrifice that's been made on our behalf, when we truly allow our response to be that, he truly can do even more on the other side of our broken down mess than we could ever have dreamed possible even before it happened. I'm telling you, he can do that. You say, well, you don't want to take my word for it. Let's look at David's life then. David's the one that wrote this psalm. Here's what we know about David's life. This psalm, Psalm 51, was such a turning point. It was such a response in his life that God, out of the brokenness of that situation, actually began to, to bring something completely new. So much to the point where if you fast forward to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's account of Jesus' life in the New Testament begins with a genealogy. Literally, the ancestry of Jesus and how he came to the world. And, and it's this long list of names, this genealogy. And there are two names in this genealogy. One is David, the other is Bathsheba. And, and what we realize is it was actually through David and Bathsheba's line, the line of this broken down mess, that, that God actually brings the Savior of the world, Jesus, into existence. He truly can make all things new. He can take your biggest mess and he can turn it into your greatest testimony. He can turn it into your greatest victory in life. So if you don't take my word for it, if you don't take David's word for it, maybe the question we ask is, how does God respond when we come to him broken? Maybe you're in one of those crossroad moments in life right now where you've got a broken down mess and it's come, it's come to your attention. People are pointing it out. How does God respond when we come to him broken, when we turn to him? Hebrews 8, 12 uh, says this, 
Um, for I will, this is God speaking to us. When we come to Jesus, when we allow him to take away the broken down mess of our lives, uh, God says, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Literally, God says, when, when Jesus has taken away the broken down mess of our lives, when it's been hauled away at his expense, the sacrifice of his life on the cross, God literally looks at our lives and he says, what broken down mess? He, he literally looks at our lives and he doesn't even remember anymore. He doesn't even see it anymore. That it's literally completely done away with and that we are completely made new because of what Jesus did for us. Um, years ago, I was... Uh, doing a wedding for this couple. And so uh, they'd gone through uh, the whole pre-marriage counseling process and everything. And we got to the point where uh, I was meeting with them and it was like a, a month away from their wedding day. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, the bride says to me, um, hey, I, Brian, can I meet with you? Just the two of us, not without my fiance there. I just want to meet with you and talk with you. So I said, okay, sure. So I sit down with, with the bride. I sit down and, and talk with her. And she says, I need to let you know Years ago, when I was much younger, I had an abortion. She said, it was during this time in my life, this season, I was scared, I was young. Um, and she said, I, you know, I made this decision and it's haunted me ever since. She, she just said, I've had so much shame about it in my life. I've regretted it. I've had so much guilt. And she said, I, I wanted to talk with you because my fiance doesn't know about the abortion. She said, you know, we started dating. I thought to myself, you know, at some point I should probably tell him about the abortion. But she said, but I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to talk about it. And then our relationship started to get serious. And I thought, okay, I, I really need to tell him uh, about the abortion. She said, but every time I, I would go to do it, every time, like, I would say, okay, tonight's tonight, I'm going to tell him. Like, I would get to the point and I just couldn't say it. I couldn't tell him. She said, and then we got engaged and I knew I, I really have to tell him. That's what I've got to do. And she said, now here we are. We're a month away from the wedding day. She said, he has no idea about this abortion. And she just says, it's just weighing on me. I don't want to go into our life together with this secret. You know, it happened years ago before, you know, I even met him. But it's, she, she's like, I don't want him to not know about this. And she says, but at the same time, we're a month away from the wedding. What, what happens if I tell him and then he leaves me? And so I said to her, I said, have you ever just confessed that and, and asked God for forgiveness? Have you ever just gone to the Lord and just asked him for forgiveness? And to my great surprise, she said, no. She was like, no, how, why would I ever do that? I can't forgive myself for doing that. I, I, I'm scared to death that my fiance is not going to be able to forgive me. How in the world could I possibly expect God to forgive me for that? So I have this memory, literally, of getting out Psalm 51. And we, I just remember reading out loud in that room, Psalm 51. We just read Psalm 51 together. And then we just went to God in prayer together. And, and she prayed and she, for the first time, asked God just to forgive her. She confessed the brokenness that was in her life because of that. And just said, God, would you forgive me? It was this beautiful moment of God just rushing into the cracks and the broken places of her life. And when the prayer was over, she just said, okay, I think, uh, I, think I, I can go tell my fiance now about the abortion. To which I said, what abortion? What, what abortion? Now, 
I wasn't actually telling her not to go tell her fiance. She actually did tell her fiance about the abortion and he responded beautifully. He, he showed her grace and showed her mercy for that. They, uh, the marriage still happened. The wedding still happened. God has just done an incredible act of healing in her life ever since. But, but what I wanted her to experience is I wanted her to experience telling her fiance about this broken piece of her past from a place of freedom. Because that's what we actually get when we come to Jesus. We get freedom. When we come to him in brokenness, when we confess our sins, when we acknowledge and and when we uh, accept the sacrifice that's been made on our behalf, he hauls it away, God doesn't even remember it, and we actually get freedom. And, And that's a freedom that you can build a life on. From a place of freedom, you can build a marriage on that kind of freedom that comes from Jesus. You can build an identity on the freedom that comes when, when we know that our sins have been taken away by the blood of Jesus. You can't build anything on woundedness, on a victim mentality, on a defensive posture, on doubling down on the lies. You can't build anything on that. But you can build a life You can build an incredible life, a life you never dreamed of on the freedom that we only can receive through the person of Jesus. It's an old hymn. It's called His Be the Victor's Name. We actually don't really sing it here at Frontline, but there's a famous line from it that's been quoted again and again. I love love the language of it. It says, well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. My God, he knoweth none. He doesn't even remember it. Or maybe a simpler way to say it, it's just the sins I can't forget, God doesn't even remember. The sins I can't forget that that are there every time I shut my eyes, every time I think God doesn't even remember those. They've been taken away, they've been dealt with by the blood of Jesus, and we don't even have to deal with them anymore. So as we turn this entire psalm toward ourselves this morning. As I think about baptism, as I think about what we're heading into, there are some of you in this room or watching online where whenever baptism comes up, what you think to yourself is, yeah, someday when I clean up this broken mess that's sitting here in the parking lot, someday when I take care of that, then I'll be in a place where I'll be able to go get baptized. And you've completely missed the point of baptism. You've completely missed the point of it. Romans 6 talks about baptism. It's this symbol. It's this beautiful outward symbol of something that happens on the interior of our lives when we come to the person of Jesus and we give our lives to him. It says that we are buried with Christ in baptism. In other words, when we go down in the water, it's it's this picture of just like Jesus died and was buried, we're dying to our way of life. We're dying to selfishness. We're dying to uh, the, the altar of, I'm gonna fix it myself. We're dying to this, this posture of, I'm gonna clean up what's broken in my life. I'm gonna, you know, just carry this wounded spirit. I'm gonna carry this unforgiveness. We die to all that. And we leave the mess in Jesus' hands. And then we're, it says we're raised with him in baptism. So just like Jesus rose to a new life, when we come out of the water, we are made new. Jesus can completely wash away our past. And baptism is this symbol of that. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. 
And we've had a ton of people sign up for baptism. Um, we're really excited uh, to go to Versalus Park after this service and, and celebrate that together. If you're in the room here physically, uh, in a moment, um, would you make your way over as we're singing that song, would you make your way over here to the, to the Jesus banner that's over here to my right, your left here in the room? Uh, we would love, we have our, our prayer team will be there. We would love to just pray over you. We would love to just take, take a moment, and just pray for you today as you go get baptized. Um, and then there's some of you here in this room who maybe you weren't planning on getting baptized. Maybe you're watching online and you, you weren't uh, planning on getting baptized. And you've had this thought to yourself like, well, maybe someday I've got to clean up my act. I've got to work on things. Maybe today, I don't believe anyone's here on accident today. Maybe you're here today because this is your Psalm 51 turning point moment where God wants to say to you, see that broken down mess? That's mine. That's my burden to bear, not yours. Maybe today is your day to come and just confess it and let him have it so, and that God truly will not remember it anymore. So if that's you, I want you to join us also at the Jesus wall. And maybe today uh, you go get baptized with us at Versalus Park. Uh, but even if, even, whether you go get baptized today or whether you get baptized the next time we do baptism, whatever, don't miss this chance as we're singing to go over to the wall. We wanna pray with you. We wanna connect with you. If there's a, a broken place in your life, if this is a Psalm 51 turning point moment for you, come over here. Let's pray together. Let's go to the Lord together because he can do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine when we do that. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna offer a prayer and then we're gonna sing. So Jesus, right now we come before you recognizing God, that our worst mess, our, our biggest brokenness, the, and um, everything that we've done, I got our entire past, nothing is too great for you. That you've paid the price for it all, that it belongs to you now. And so, Jesus, right now we come to you, we accept the sacrifice that's been made on our, our behalf, and we, we want to live with you as Lord and Savior of our lives. We confess you as Lord right now, Jesus. I just ask you to, to move in to the broken places of our lives. We reject all woundedness, all victim mentality. We lay down that posture of defensiveness. Can't build a life on that. And we just say, Jesus, come, have your way. Uh, make us new in you. Give us the freedom that we can only experience in you. And out of that, God, I pray that you would do immeasurably more in our lives, in our families, in our legacy that points to you in a way that only you could get the glory for. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you're, if you're ready to be prayed over, come and join us as we sing.